Chapter Twenty Seven of the Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins by Robert Paltick. Chapter Twenty Seven. Having set on the table some brandy and Madeira and each of us taken one glass of both, I showed, by the attentiveness of my aspect and posture, how desirous I was he should proceed to what he had promised. Observing this, he went on in the following manner. "'Brother Peter,' says he, "'my sister Yorky, as I don't doubt you will be glad to hear of her first, arrived very safe at Arndrumstake the third day after she left you, and after a very severe flight to the dear little Hallicarney, footnote one of wilkins's daughters end of footnote who was a full day and a night on her grandee and at last would not have been able to have reached battringdrig but for my sister's assistance who taking her sometimes on her back for a short flight by those little refreshments enabled her to perform it but from battringdrig after some hours rest they came with pleasure to the white mountains from whence after a small stay they arrived at Arndrumstake. They alighted at our covet. Footnote. Capital seat. End of footnote. But were opposed at their entrance by the guards, to whom they did not choose to discover themselves, till notice was given to my father, who, upon hearing that some strangers desired admittance to him, sent me to introduce them, if they were proper persons for his presence or else give orders for such other reception as was suitable to them. When I came to the guard, I found three gowries and a glum boss, footnote, youth, end of footnote, whose appearance and behavior, I must own, prejudiced me very much in their favor. I then asked from whence they came, and their business with the kolam. Yorky told me they came not about business of public concern relating to the kolam's office, but out of a dutiful regard, as relations, to kiss his knees. My father, said I, shall know it immediately. But first, pray inform me of your name. Your father, replied Yorky, are you my brother Quangrillart? My name is so, says I, but I have only one sister, now with my father, and how I can be your brother I am not able to guess. Have you never had any sister? says she yes says i but she is long since dead her name was yorky at my mentioning her name she fell upon my neck in tears crying my dear brother i am that dead sister yorky and these with me are some of my children for i have five more but pray how does my father and sister i started back at this declaration to view her and the children fearing it was some gross imposition, not in the least knowing or remembering anything of her face after so long an absence. But I desired them to walk in, till I told my father. The guard, observing the several passages between us, were amazed to think who it could be had so familiarly embraced me, especially as they saw I only played a passive part in it. When I went in, I did not think proper directly to inform my father what had happened, but calling my sister Hallie Carney, I led her into the circumstances of this odd affair, 
and desired her advice what to do. For, says I, surely this must be some impostor, and as my father has scarce subdued his sorrow for my sister's loss, if this gawry should prove a deceiver, it will only revive his affliction, and may prove at this time extremely dangerous to him. Therefore, let us consider what had best be done in the matter. Halley Carney, who had attentively weighed all I said, seemed to think it was some cheat, as well as I did, for we could neither of us conceive that anything but death, or being slit, could have kept Yorkie so long from the knowledge of her relations, and that neither of them could be the case was plain, if the person attending was Yorkie. Besides, brother, says Halley Carney, she cannot surely be so much altered in fifteen years, but you must have known her. And yet, now, I think it is possible you being so much younger may have forgot her. But whilst we have been talking of her, I have so well recollected her that I think I could hardly be imposed upon by any deceiver. I then desired her to go with me to the strangers and see if she could make any discovery. She did so and had no sooner entered the ab, footnote, room, end of footnote. But Yorkie called out, my dear sister Halley Carney, and she, as readily recollecting Yorkie, they in transport embraced each other, and then your wife, presenting to us her three children, it proved the tenderest scene, except the following, I ever saw. My father, having kept his chamber some time with a fever, and though he was pretty well recovered, having not yet been out of it, we consulted how we might introduce our sister and children to him with as little surprise as might be, for fear of a relapse by too great a hurry of his spirits. At length we concluded I should go tell him that some strangers had arrived, desiring to see him. But on inquiry, finding their business was too trifling to trouble him upon, I had dispatched them. I was then to say how like one of them was to my sister Yorkie, and whilst I was speaking, Halley Carney was to enter and keep up the discourse, till we should find a proper opportunity of discovery. I went in, therefore, as had been agreed, and upon mentioning the name of Yorkie, my father fetched a deep sigh and turned away from me in tears. At that instant, Hallie Carney came in as by accident. Sir, says she, what makes you so sad? Are you worse today? Oh, says he, I have heard a name that will never be out of my heart till I am in Hoximo. Footnote. A place where the dead are buried. End of footnote. What? I suppose my sister? Tis true, replied he. The same. Says she, I fancied so, for I have just seen a stranger as like her as two doors could be. Footnote. A fruit like an apple. End of footnote. And would have sworn it was she if that had been possible. I thought my brother had been so imprudent as to mention her to you, and I think he did not do well to rip up an old sore he knew was almost healed, and make it break out afresh. Ah, no, child, says my father. That sore never has, nor can be, healed. Oh, great image, why can't it, by some means or other, be ascertained what end she came to? Sir, says my sister, I think you are much to blame for these exclamations, after so long absence. For if she be dead, what use are they of? And if she be not, all may be well, and you may still see her again. 
Oh, never, never, says my father. But could I be sure she was alive, I would take a swangian and never close my grandee till I found her, or drop dead in the search. And suppose you could meet with her, sir, says I. The very sight would overcome you and be dangerous. No, believe me, boy, says he. I should then be fully easy and composed, and were she to come in this moment, I should suffer no surprise but pleasure. No surprise, sir, says I. Not if she were alive and well, says he. Then, sir, says Halicarney, will you excuse me if I introduce her? And went out directly without staying for an answer. When she was gone, Congrelart, says my father sternly, what is the meaning of yours and your sister's playing thus upon my weakness? It is what I can upon no account forgive. It looks as if you were weary of me and wanted to break my heart. To what purpose is all this prelude of yours, to introduce me to somebody who, by her likeness to my daughter, may expose me to your scoff and raillery? This is a disobedience I never expected from either of you. The great image attend me, says I. Sir, you have much mistaken me, but I will not leave you in doubt, even till Halle Carney's return. You shall see Yorkie with her, for all our discourse, I'll assure you, has but been concerted to prepare you for her reception with three of her children. And am I then, says he in a transport, still to be blessed? You are, sir, says I. Assure yourself you are. By this time we heard them coming, but my poor father had not power to go to meet them, and upon Yorkie's nearer approach to fall at his knees, his limbs failing him, he sunk, and without speaking a word, fell backwards on a cuffed drapic. Footnote. A bed or couch covered with a sort of cotton. End of footnote. Which stood behind him, and being quite motionless, we concluded him to be stone dead. On this the women became entirely helpless, screaming only and wringing their hands in extravagant postures. But I, having a little more presence of mind, called for the Kalantar, footnote, a sort of doctor in all great families, end of footnote, who, by holding his nose, pinching his feet and other applications, in a little time brought him to his senses again. You may more easily conceive than I describe both the confusion we were all in during my father's disorder and the congratulations upon his recovery. So, as I can give you but a defective account of these, I shall pass them by and come to our more serious discourse after my father and your wife had, without speaking a word, wept themselves quite dry on each other's necks. My father, then looking upon the three children, who were also crying to see their mamma cry. And who are these? says he. These, sir, says Yorkie, are three of eight of your grandchildren. And where is your barquette? says he. At home with the rest, sir, replied she, who are, some of them, too small to come so far yet. But, sir, says she, pray excuse my answering you any more questions, till you are a little recovered from the commotion I perceive my presence has brought upon your spirits. And as rest, the Kalantar says, will be exceedingly proper, I will retire with my sister till you are better able to bear company. My father was with much difficulty prevailed with to part with her out of his sight, but the Kalantar pressing it, 
we were all dismissed, and he laid down to rest. My brother would have gone on, but I told him, as it grew near time for repose, and he and Rosig must needs be fatigued with so long a flight, if they pleased, as I had already heard the most valuable part of all he could say, in that my father had received my wife and children so kindly, and that he left them all well, we could defer his farther relation till the next day, which, they both agreeing to, I laid them in my own bed, myself sleeping in a spare hammock. End of chapter 27 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista End of the Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins By Robert Paltick Volume 1